Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of April 16, 2023. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind, KCB's chapter in the Bowling Green area, invites you to its social hour each Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time, 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern, on its Zoom line. The topic for April 19 is Essential Oils, which has been rescheduled from earlier this year. Join the call by dialing 669-900-6833 and entering the code 763-689-4411. The passcode, should you need it, is 25852. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its next Low Vision Support Group on Wednesday, April 19 at 8 p.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Bring your questions, comments, and tips. All are welcome. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its spring quarterly meeting on Friday, April 21. This is a hybrid meeting with dinner at 5, bargain table at 6, and a program meeting and elections from 7 to 9. GLCB will be electing officers, including President, First and Second Vice President, Secretary, and Treasurer, all for two-year terms. The slate of candidates presented by the nominating committee includes President, Natalie Couch, First Vice President, Patty Cox, Second Vice President, Kendall Perry, Secretary, Terry Turlow, and Treasurer, Deanna Scoggins. All are incumbents and all are eligible to run for another term. The meeting will be at UCHM 150 South State Street in Louisville from 4 until 9 and on the KCB Zoom line from 7 until 9. Remember to call ahead at 502-895-4598 if you will be eating dinner with us. The menu includes ham, mashed potatoes, and green beans, salad, and dessert. The cost is $6 per person, and carryouts are available if ordered in advance. The next in-person low vision support group, sponsored by the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision, will take place on Monday, April 24, from 1 to 2.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information about the group or to request that we explore a specific topic, app, etc., Give us a call at 502-895-4598. The Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will hold its next meeting at 7 p.m. on Monday, April 24, on the KCB Zoom line. Anyone who has a guide dog or who is interested in learning more about guide dogs is encouraged to attend. For more information about GDUKI, call Terry Turlock, President, at 502 551-6382. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind has some very cool events coming up in the next few weeks. First, because the quarterly meeting was being held on the third Friday of the month, April 21st, bingo for the month has moved to the last Friday, April 28th. And there's great news. We'll be playing bingo with the Perkins group that night. There will be lots of games and lots of prizes, so be sure to save the date and get in on the fun. 
Watch for the Zoom link and dial in information on the KCB events list. It's Derby time in Kentucky when everyone becomes a fan, whether you know anything about horse racing or not. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its traditional derby party on May 6th, Derby Day, of course, and it will be filled with food, games, friends, and good times from 11 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. in the evening. The party will be held at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, but if you can't come in person, you'll still be able to get in on some of the festivities on our Zoom line in the afternoon. Listen to Soundprints next week's and watch our email events list for more details. GLCB invites everyone to participate in our springtime auction coming up on Saturday, May 13 at 7 p.m. Eastern on the KCB Zoom line. We have an incredible lineup of fantastic items just waiting for your bid. Music boxes, jewelry, purses and backpacks, and absolutely yummy treats, skincare products, and home decor. What a lineup! And all proceeds from this auction benefit the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, as well as other KCB chapters. If an item is designated by its donor to benefit a specific chapter, half the proceeds from that item go to that chapter, with the other half going to GLCB. It's not too late to donate an item and support your favorite KCB chapter. To find out more about how you can get in on the fun, Call us at 502-895-4598. Bookshare's membership fee increases. Starting in May 2023, Bookshare will be raising its membership fee. This will be its first fee increase in its history of over two decades and is an action that they take with great consideration. Since its founding in 2001, Bookshare has scaled dramatically to provide a reading lifeline to book lovers around the world. In its first 10 years, they built a library collection that provided access to over 100,000 titles in multiple accessible formats. By 2016, the collection grew to over 500,000 titles, and in 2021, they crossed the 1 million title mark, providing more accessible reading options than any other library or bookstore. Throughout Bookshare's growth, they never raised fees. In fact, they waived an additional $25 initiation fee to make joining Bookshare more affordable despite rising inflation. Today, the costs of managing the world's largest collection of accessible books have caught up with them. Effective the week of May 8, Bookshare will increase its annual membership fee from $50 to $79.99 for non-student individual members. This fee will be applied at your annual renewal and will help them to continue providing the books you want, high-quality reading tools, and world-class support. Bookshare understands that this may be a significant increase for some members. For those who need financial assistance, you can request a 25% membership fee discount on the Bookshare website starting the week of May 8. There is no need for you to do anything today. Thank you for your ongoing support 
and helping make the Bookshare community what it is from the Bookshare team. This project is supported by the U.S. Department of Education Office of Special Education Programs. Alan Lovell from the Connect Center at the American Printing House and Joe Hodge from the APH Tech Department were guests on the SCKCB Social Hour on April 12th. We think you'll enjoy learning about the Connect Center and upcoming advances in technology at APH. So we've included these presentations on page two. Listen to Soundprints each week on ACB Media One, the mainstream channel. Our broadcast times are Sunday, 8 p.m., Monday, 8 a.m., Tuesday, 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday, 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday, 10 p.m., and Friday, 1 a.m., 10 a.m. and 1 p.m., all Eastern Time. Listen on your Victor Stream or on the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Listen anytime, 24 hours a day, on our information line by calling 773-572-6318. Find out how you can receive a free subscription to Soundprints on CD, playable on any standard CD player, by calling us at 502-895-4598. Page 2. Joe and Alan, we wanted to thank you guys from uh, American Printing House for coming to talk to us. All right. Hey, Richard. It's Alan. Yeah, you're the, I'm the one you spoke with initially. I'm Alan Lovell, and uh, although I'm a 48-year-old white guy, um, if you use an AI to get a description of oneself, such as something built into seeing AI, if you're familiar with that, uh, I get get misidentified by a long stretch. I have a white beard and uh, gray gray hair mostly. with a little bit of brown on top, but really I've gone gray and white prematurely. So um, I have been um, an employee of APH for 27 years as of last month, March, Um, and in that time I've worked in um, sales, marketing, um, customer service, tech support, Uh, and things like that over the years. And for the last almost five years, I've worked in what we call the APH Connect Center, which is, uh, I'll I'll explain a little bit more about that. No doubt most of you are familiar with with APH. Uh, If there's anybody on the call that is not, let me just give you a chance to speak up and say, well, what is APH? Uh, And I might go more in depth uh, about that. We're 165 years old, the American Printing House for the Blind. It's quite a unique place, and I've just been really proud to have uh, spent so much time working here and that it exists in the community that I already love and and grew up in. It's presented a lot of great opportunities. So um, it, it was established in 1858, and the act to promote the education of the blind um, would was in effect in 1879. Uh, That's basically when our federal quota program started. That federal quota program uh, is is a a 
annual appropriation of money that's used to purchase educational materials for the blind, for legally blind students uh, throughout the school system or in the school system throughout the United States. And there are provisions in there for people who are also receiving a certain amount of rehab services uh, as well. So that extends to uh, adults over the age of 18 in those cases. So APH, of course, uh, produces a lot of textbooks, large print, braille, audio recording, and uh, digital electronic formats. Uh, in addition to that, of course, there's the catalog of products that are used for education primarily and independent living tools. Um, of course, over the years that we have um, moved with the times, tried to, sometimes more sluggishly than others, these days we're moving right along. You know, APH being an old agency has been sort of hard-pressed to change in some cases, uh, resistant to change. Um, but we also have to work in cooperation with other agencies like the Library of Congress and the National Audiobook Program, NLS. We, we work in agreement with those agencies. Uh, and APH has always been known sort of as a clearinghouse for um, resources outside of the products that we manufacture, just sort of general field knowledge on blindness and low vision. So back in 2018, we partnered with the American Foundation for the Blind, one of our other large national blindness organizations. They had a shift in their direction, which required that they give up a few of their programs. And, and APH, thankfully, stepped up, and we decided to take over stewardship of some vital resources, such as what makes up the APH Connect Center now. This is what we've called the APH Connect Center. Uh, the Connect Center is made up of several web platforms on blindness and an 800 number, sort of like a hotline that people can call uh, when you are perhaps... For example, dealing with low vision or blindness for the first time, uh, needing advice on assistive technology or finding uh, agencies in your locale. We do maintain a national directory of services that populates across all of our web platforms. And so it's a place that people can come and get non-biased information on life with blindness and low vision. Our website, our landing page, where you can access the entire Connect Center is aphconnectcenter.org. aphconnectcenter.org. So when we partnered up with AFB, we actually received four separate websites. APH, I'm sorry, AFB ran them as four individual platforms, which you may be familiar with. One is VisionAware. It was visionaware.org. That's curated specifically for adults, professionals, and seniors. FamilyConnect.org is all about families with low vision and blind children. And CareerConnect.org. Well, we had to change the URL. It's actually aphcareerconnect.org, and that is a site for job seekers. 
resources for people looking for employment, looking for ways to assist them in building a resume, uh, honing their skills in any particular direction, finding vocational skills training. Uh, we host a lot of different webinars and in groups where we talk about employment options, career conversations on that site. Um, so even though they, those URLs, all three of them will still exist for some time to come, uh, we are now treating them as basically web platforms that you can reach all of them from the APHConnectCenter.org. APHConnectCenter.org will continue to be your landing page where you can access all of our resources, um, but the, the individual websites will present just slightly different. They won't be individual websites anymore. You know, it's going to be more like, we'll stick with Vision Aware. The term Vision Aware is well known in the field, um, but then we'll find for families and for job seekers instead of having them individually named. And so the Connect Center started in July of 2018. It consisted of me and one other person who's since retired uh, who took this on, and um, we were charged to sort of build on it, um, updating the websites, bringing them over to a platform, WordPress platform, that we uh, could actually access and um, found accessible for those of us using screen readers and adaptive technology. AFB built these sites from scratch back in 2000, 2001. Um, and specifically for that time, they had to, it was, it was really innovative the way they built these sites because accessibility was not um, really on the forefront of everybody's minds. You know, our mainstream sites, our mainstream technology, like we have now, didn't have accessibility functions built into it back then. So AFB uh, really customized these sites. Uh, and so while we are preserving all the material that AFB has put forth uh, and moving them over to the, these new platforms, uh, it's going to continue to be more and more accessible, less cluttered, easier to find things. Uh, we're doing away with old material that may be so far outdated with, you know, as it relates to our current times filtering that type of stuff out, but there will always be evergreen material on there, um, which evergreen means to us it's useful information any time of the year, any time um, of, of life. Since July 2018, we started with two of us. Uh, now, including contractors, we have about 13 of us that work in the Connect Center. There are two of us that work in the INR portion of the Connect Center. INR is Information and Referral Services. We're the ones who answer the 800 number. Um, in case you would like it, our 800 number is 800-232-5463. 800-232-5463. And that is a number that was already active with AFB uh, at this point, probably about 50 years, and uh, traditionally has been manned by uh, individuals who um, have collective knowledge in the field. Um, part of the Connect Center that we are proud of is that we are made up of people who have a collective knowledge base in the field. Whether we have worked in the field for a long time 
are low vision or blind ourselves. We have um, the unique ability to empathize with the callers um, who, who reach out to us. We are not advertised as a crisis hotline. However, we find ourselves talking to people who are genuinely in crisis a lot, most recently last week. Um, you know, we, 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 we also find ourselves um, sometimes dealing with um, privacy law and what can we disclose, what can we allow other people to overhear. Um, when we take information down on a call, we have to be careful about what information is acceptable to put in our we'll caller relations management system, right? We've been taking... Um, privacy law training courses, all of us at APH have uh, virtually from a, a, an attorney whose specialty is, um, is privacy law and cybersecurity. Uh, so we do talk to people who have found themselves in crisis. For that reason, we also subscribe to a national agency, the Alliance of Information and Referral Systems, AIRS. Uh, they are sort of the foundation for our 211 type services, uh, adult protective services, information and referral. So when we find ourselves in a situation that can be sticky in order to protect ourselves and to protect the caller, uh, we often, at least we, we like to know that we have these resources available, uh, to, to, um, draw on if we need specific wording, if we're supposed to ask specific questions, uh, if someone has implied something uh, like suicide. In those cases, what are the things you're supposed to say? What are the things you're not supposed to say? And what, what we have found even more of that is just being human uh, with the person. So we get a whole range of calls. The most common call, though, would be from, let's say, your grandmother, grandfather, my great aunt, my cousin, my so-and-so has just gotten a diagnosis of blindness. What do we do? There's no frame of reference. Uh, how do we proceed from here? Is my life over? Um, how do I learn to be blind? Sometimes people will call with a question in their mind that they've just formulated, which is, maybe part of the solution, but in their mind, it's the whole solution. This morning, I got a call from somebody. He's calling for a friend. I need to know how to get her a guide dog. She needs a guide dog. She just turned blind. She's blind now. She needs a guide dog. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I have to sort of explain, well, okay, that may be a nice option, but, okay, first, here's what's first, you know. And you have to sort of explain the process. There's There's rehab services, and here's the ones in your area. Here's... Here's a grouping of agencies in your area that provide these services. Orientation and mobility, first of all. That's going to be the precursor to having a guide dog. And you have to explain to these people who have no frame of reference that, you know, the guide dog doesn't inherently know where you're going. Um, you've got to be able to orient yourself and give the dogs commands. And they don't know that the training process can be a six-week-long uh you know, residence, residency at the school. Uh, so we have those types of things where we just sort of have to spend time 
uh, with the individual and really um, lay things out for them, uh, hopefully in a way that eases their minds about things. Um, we do, you know, it is it is a type of, of um, situation where we do often have feel-good moments with people where they've told us no one has been able to spend the time with them to explain things, um, that they did not know what services were out there. We get feedback like that a lot. And, of course, we get the alternative of that, too. Oftentimes, people will call and say, I need you to help me get my sight back. Uh, how can I learn to see better? You know, they're not willing to accept the diagnosis that they've been saddled with. Um, and I had a woman hang up with, on me one time, which is just the worst feeling when we are genuinely trying to help and they're just not hearing what they don't want to hear. Um, so th that kind of thing happens too. But we try, but we try. Our phone line is open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern. Currently, it's staffed by two of us. We are grant-funded. Um, and uh, we, our vision is to expand our hours into the weekends. Ultimately, APH's president, uh, Craig Metter, uh, his vision is to have a 24-7 operation. Uh, we do not yet have the funding for that, nor do we have the uh, popularity, I would say, of that. But part of what we do is produce webinars, we present to large uh, groups, uh, national conferences, um, and trying to reach out into all these areas where people um, may not know about us but want to know about us. And so it's built up a lot. In five years, our call volumes have quadrupled. Um, no, it was not uh, a very well used phone line when we took it on, and now it's pretty constant. Um, so on the other parts that make up the, the Connect Center, our, our other components are, as I mentioned earlier, Vision Aware, Career Connect, and Family Connect. For each one of those platforms, we have a content, digital content manager. Uh, Lori Sharp is our content manager for Career Connect, and she hosts our monthly career conversations webinars in which we uh, bring people together. This is sort of our um, approach to mentoring. We will provide a speaker who might be a professional in a specific area. Uh, and that person can talk to large groups about how, as a low vision or blind person, they came to do what they do, whether it is a medical uh, professional or uh, we had a um, an embalmer, um, a mortician, a blind mortician. Um, there's There's been a number of different things like that. Um, we do the same on the other platforms that Family Connect and Career Connect, we have family conversations and support groups for parents of children who are low vision or blind so they can share resources. And then Vision Aware, the same thing. We will host webinars. Uh, our most recent webinar for Career Connect was on bioptic driving. That was very well attended. Um, 
A lot of people like to learn about the program, so we had a professional who knew the ins and outs of bioptic driving and, and how one may qualify um, to be able to do that. Um, all of our webinars are recorded. They are all uploaded to our playlist on YouTube. Um, you know, if you go on to the APHConnectCenter.org, there is a link there that takes you right to our playlist if you want to peruse what we've done. We've got about 142 webinars up there now, um, and every month we're producing more. Most of our webinars qualify for the uh, ACVREP credits. Those are credits obtained by um, professionals in the field of you know, teachers of the visually impaired. And then, um, so, so yeah, so we're, we're about 13 people strong. There's only about four of us here that are local, uh, here at APH, but since COVID, I mean, we, 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 most of this, um, department has grown during the last three years since the start of 2020. And, uh, a lot of jobs have changed. There's a lot of remote workers now. It's, it's very different than the way it used to be. Um, but it allows us to reach talent that uh, may not be local. You know, there's people who have, are exceedingly professional um, with their respective um, directions in their careers. And so, again, we, we feel like we've padded ourselves out with a great knowledge base uh, of folks, and we do, we do have that unique ability to empathize with our callers. That is the Connect Center, and that is a grant-funded wing of APH. So we're fully grant-funded. We're, we're, we're part of APH, but we're not. We have our own 800 number. But you can also reach us just by calling APH directly. Um, my colleague and friend Joe Hodge is joining me today. He works for APH Proper. He is in the technical product research department. They're the super brainiacs who are developing our software and hardware, our technical products. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, APH has quite a diverse range of products. You know, uh, I don't have an official count of actual products in our catalog nowadays. Uh, some years ago, the number was thrown out that we had something like 1,600 products in the catalog, and I'm sure that included components. That number may have gone down, um, and that not for not for bad reasons, but for reasons that things have been condensed and and uh, there's devices that do multiple things for us. So um, I wanted Joe to come and talk to everybody about some of the Braille technology that has come about in recent years and some of the stuff that we're currently working on that's just going to change the face of education for the blind. Uh, so I guess real quick, I'll open the floor to questions if anybody had anything pressing for me. Well, it looks like we don't have any questions yet. So, so there's Joe. And Joe, uh, you know, while I, I can sort of sit here and pontificate about certain things. That's just sort of an arrogant way of saying, I'm telling you about what we're doing. <laughs> Joe will probably blow my mind because I sometimes think I know, but I really don't. Hey, Alan, by the way, I took your picture with Seeing AI and said that you were 25. So, I mean, you, I think you, you, you underestimated how, how, how good you look. The today. digital screen is it's, it's doing me favors. That's Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get that out. All right. So... <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm uh, Joe Hodge. Uh, my new position is uh, lead 
quality assurance analyst here at APH. I've been here about six years um, and have gotten to be part of a lot of exciting, groundbreaking projects. Uh, one I'll talk to you about uh, in, in a minute at the end. Um, I do want to start with our two Braille displays. Um, I think I was on a conversation a few years ago with, uh, with you all, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we'll recover some of this, but I'm going to I'm going to just kind of go over them. So we have currently two Braille displays in our catalog. One is called the Chameleon, and one is called the Mantis. So we've got uh, sort of a uh, uh, a reptilian thing going on here, uh, slash insect product naming thing. So uh, the difference is the software on them is roughly the same. They're just a little different on their physical appearance, as well as uh, one has text-to-speech and one doesn't. So and I'm going to go over that here in a second. Uh, so I'm going to start with the Chameleon. It's a 20-cell Braille display. It has uh, the Perkins-style keyboard, so your, your typical six-key entry plus the dot seven and eight uh, for backspace and enter. Uh, it also has 20 Braille cells, 20 cursor routing keys. It has a USB-C for connectivity to your computer. It has a USB-A Spot, uh, slot for a thumb drive or, you know, to connect like an SD card adapter to or something like that if you wanted. It also has a SD card slot on the back, and it has a uh, your traditional sort of humanware thumb keys on the front. So you have uh, uh, four thumb keys on the front, and then you have a home button. The home button is really nice um, because wherever you are in the operating system. So if you're, you know, connected to a screen reader or you're connected, you know, you're in the editor and you're writing a document, you can push that and it takes you right back to the main menu every time. Uh, if you all have seen the NLS e-reader, it's very similar feeling to that as that was also made by humanware, uh, which this one was as well. Uh, but ours has a little bit more, it has the editor, as I mentioned, that's one difference that kind of sets it apart as well as text-to-speech. One of the, the things about this device is it's very small. It's very pocketable. Um, I can pretty much carry it in anything that I have. Uh, you know, bags, I can just, you know, carry it in my left hand, whatever. It's, it's, it's super small. Uh, the reason we called it the chameleon, some people might wonder why we would call the device the chameleon. It actually has three uh, cases that come with it. So the idea is that, you know, if you're in the mood to sort of have a purple case, you could do that, or a maroon case, uh, I think, or, or an apricot. I, I, we have, like, colors that I'm not 100% familiar with as <laughs> a blind person, but uh, there, there are three of them, uh, as well as you can get um, a normal, like, sort of TPU case as well. Um, so the Chameleon is our first display. The second display, the Mantis, is... I actually think one of my favorite displays I've ever gotten to use as a professional. So it is a 40 cell Braille display with a QWERTY input. So it actually has, it feels a lot like your uh, computer keyboard, if you will. So it has all those QWERTY keys and it has um, the same sort of array. So on the left-hand side, you have a USB-C jack for connecting it to a computer. You have a USB-A jack for thumb drives. You have an SD card slot, and then on the front, you have the four thumb keys. This device does not have a speaker on it, so there is no text-to-speech. Um, you, the, the great thing for me about the Mantis, though, is 
you can connect it to, let's say, JAWS, for example. Uh, I think Nikki mentioned JAWS earlier. Uh, so if you connect it to JAWS, all F4 is all F4. You know, if you use a the chameleon, like a, a traditional Braille display, all F4 is like a two to three finger command. It's like a, you know, you're doing gymnastics with your fingers to get the command to work. And it's very frustrating. It's, 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 a, it's a command structure that not many of us honestly learn uh, fully. Um, and so with the Mantis, you're using the keyboard and the, the commands that you're familiar with, with JAWS, and you can reach down and get Braille. You know, when I used to work at my last job at Humana, um, one of my biggest frustrations every day was I'd come in, the people who, like the janitorial staff who kind of took care of the desks and stuff, my Braille display would always be somewhere that I didn't leave it. Uh, it, it was way away from the QWERTY keyboard. And I was always, always also constantly bumping it throughout the day, misaligning it the way I didn't like it. So this device has really created that sort of flow of, of, of uh, reading Braille and typing on the same thing. It's, it's, it's such a, a, a really cool device. Uh, so on both Braille displays, we have the same software, if you will. So they all have an, or they both have an editor. They both have a terminal where you're going to connect to your screen readers. They both have a library where you're going to read your books that includes content from Bookshare and NFB because the devices do have Wi-Fi. So you're able to connect uh, to those Bookshare and NFB accounts, download them. Also, updates come through Wi-Fi. Um, and the other really nice thing about them um, is that uh, we do add features. So, for example, the Chameleon, when we when we launched it, it didn't have text-to-speech. We kept saying, it's coming soon, it's coming soon. Uh, I think we released it last June. So the the idea that, you know, your display could always be made better by by an update is, is super nice. Um, so with this screen reader uh, capability, uh, we, we, we work with JAWS, NVDA, VoiceOver for the Mac and iPhone and iPad, uh, Chromebox, and with a cable, and Android currently with a cable. That's a little dicier. We can talk about that later if you want. <laughs> uh, Google and Samsung are a little different, so I don't know if anyone has an Android phone out there, but we'll, we can dive into that later. Um, and uh, the cool thing is you can connect to five devices at one time through Bluetooth and have one USB-C device. So this means I can be connected to my computer through USB-C, for example, and then I can be connected to my iPhone, iPad, um, you know, and something else, you know, all at the same time and get in between those devices with the push of a button. Um, it's super, it's super nice and, and, and helps my workflow. I'm, I'm, I'm a tester, so I do a lot of jumping between different devices and different screen readers. And honestly, my, my day would be a lot harder if I didn't have something like the Mantis that I could connect and, and seamlessly go through these devices with. Um, so as far as um, other things that you can do with these two devices, um, they're both very portable, but when you're deciding on a Braille display, one of the things you need to think about is, are you, are you okay with 20 cells or do you like 40 cells? So there, there are questions that you have to ask yourself. A lot of people ask me which one I like better. I like them both for different scenarios. Um, obviously, you know, they, they both cost a fairly decent amount of money, so having both may not be ideal. Um, for a lot of folks. So, you know, when you do make that decision, you, you, you sort of think about, uh, do I want to use this more maybe on the go or do I want to use this more 
in a professional environment, like an, on a computer desk or something like that, that might that might uh, sway your decision one way or the other on these things. Um, so that has been kind of our our uh, roadmap as far as Braille displays go for right now. Uh, uh, the Mantis and Chameleon are uh, both for sale. The, I don't exactly have the – should have looked this up before the meeting. I'm a, sorry. I uh, got inundated with displaying our other thing I'm going to talk about in a second. Uh, the Chameleon, I think, is $1,795, um, so $1,795. And the Mantis is, I believe, $2,695. With COVID, the prices have gone up a little bit just due to cost uh, inflation in the world and different things. Um, so I believe that's new, the new price. Um, so the, the other thing that we've been hard at work on at APH and where we're going in the future, uh, is something called the Monarch. So we, we actually launched this roughly at, I think, it's where the public that kind of get their hands on it at CSUN. Um, and it was super exciting to see us out at CSUN and able to kind of watch folks, um, you know, sort of get to feel this device for the first time. Honestly, doing it through this call is going to be hard, but I'm going to do my best uh, because it's one of those things, I think, to, to get the whole scope of it, you, you sort of need to engage with it and feel it. Um, but I'll do my best here. So basically what it is, it's a 10-line Braille display. So that can do Braille and tactile graphics. So what I, what I mean by tactile graphics, if folks aren't familiar with that, it's where you sort of can feel an uh, image on, on a screen. So um, the... There have been a lot of tactile, I've seen tactile graphic displays out there that really put Braille second. So Braille is sort of large or jumbo. Uh, this device, uh, we tried to sort of uh, come up with a fair uh, assessment for tactile graphics and Braille. So they kind of got treated both equally. So you're not you know, necessarily losing out on one or the other. And I think we did a pretty good job. Um, so it's, So with Braille, it's 10 lines. For young learners, you can actually change this to be eight or six lines. So if you need more spacing, you can uh, do so, uh, which allows, like, you know, kiddos to sort of, as they move their fingers down, uh, they, they'd have more spacing between the lines. The, the things we can do that honestly amaze me, the first thing I show in a demo on the multi-line Braille is the fact that you can do spacing. So, for example, we have a book on there called The History of APH, the best book in the world. I, I, I recommend you all download it right now uh, from, from Bard or uh, somewhere Bookshare. Uh, and so the history of APH is actually centered. So one of the things when I was in college um, is, you know, if I had to do a, a paper that was formatted, I had to emboss it, right? Because you can't, or, or you had to listen to JAWS or at the time window eyes, read out, um, you know, where you are on the screen. So uh, and, and sort of kind of understand formatting off of the speech. But with this device, you're actually able to feel the centering. You're able to feel the margins, and you can sort of make sense of, of what you need to do when writing. I have not written, like, a term paper on it. Um, I actually should uh, import. I have some term papers I did in college. I should, I should put them on there and just see what it looks like because it is, it's such a really cool feeling to actually – you know, interact with that with, with real formatting uh, that you just can't get on a single line display. Um, the the other big thing is so one one of the things that 
is kind of different. I mentioned cursor routing keys on our first two displays. So one person out there might be wondering, well, how do you edit a document with this since there's no cursor routing keys? Well, what we have is the ability to double tap on a Braille character and the cursor moves under your finger. So, for example, if you're on the seventh line and the fifth character in, you can just double tap with your finger, kind of like you do on an iPhone or an Android device, and your cursor will move to where your finger is, and then you would be able to hit backspace or you could, you know, put in a character, whatever you want to do. Um, this also for the tactile graphic side. Um, so, for example, imagine the workflow of you're in a, a book uh, and, and you're, you have a high schooler where you are maybe taking a college course or something like that, and it gets to a part where there's an image. What you would do is you could double tap on where the image indicator would be, and it's going to open what we call the tactile viewer, and you're going to be able to then look at this image uh, in a tactile viewer. So, for example, I was showing some folks today uh, the Eiffel Tower. We have a, a picture of the Eiffel Tower, and you're able to actually feel uh, some scaffolding on the Eiffel Tower and sort of feel the shape of it. Um, and every image that we have or that we can have to an extent, and we're going to actually be tying into what's called the Tactile Graphics Image Library. Uh, so I've heard different numbers of how many images they have, but these are images from, I'll just say, over 10,000. Um, but these are images done by transcribers for folks who are blind and low vision. Um, so that means you get things that are like labeled. So we have a, my favorite, if you ask me what my favorite tactile graphics look at currently is on the device, it would be the United States. And the reason is because um, maybe folks don't know, or maybe you do know, having access to a map um, has never been done. I mean, it's, it's been very hard. Like we, we don't have access to, to a physical map very, very often. Um, I, I remember having a, a book when I was a kid that had tactile graphics uh, of the United States, but it was like 20 volumes, <laughs> something like that. It was not very ideal to take around, right? And so, I mean, you know, my whole life, if, especially lately, if I want to know, you know, what Kentucky borders, I mean, I obviously know that, but I mean, if, if I didn't know that, I would ask Google or, or the Lady A, right? And so, um, it's, it's really empowering to be able to pick up this device and look at a, at a map of the United States and actually do the things that sighted people are doing. So we can, we can zoom. I talked, I, I haven't talked about that, but we can actually zoom in or zoom out, uh, which are concepts that sighted folks use every day when using camera equipment or using, uh, you know, their cell phones or a tablet or whenever they're looking at things, a lot of times they're zooming in, zooming out. It's a concept that's so new to us, right? the idea of panning around an image. So take, for example, the United States. If, I, if, I, if I'm in the picture and I'm looking at Kentucky and I want to go look at California, I know I have to move and pan to the left, which would be, what's cool about this is it also works with, I kind of call it, it kind of teaches folks a little bit of orientation and cardinal direction. So we have an arrow pad on here, so it's kind of like a joystick or a D-pad on a, you know, the gaming control. Kind of reminds me of that. So we actually have two, one on the left and one on the right, and I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. Um, but if you were to press left, for example, in this map, you're going to move west. If you go up, you're going to move north. 
if you go right, you go east and down south, right? So you kind of, not only are you panning around the image. So if I hit left and I'm on Kentucky, I'm probably going to go out, you know, I don't have it in front of me at this moment, but you're, you're going to move west and, and pull up the next set of states. Um, and so the other really cool thing is if you um, are looking at the image, so we have, we have two zoom levels right now on the current uh, TGIL library that I was talking about, the Tactographics Image Library. So we have what's called the zoomed out uh, view, and that's kind of a, I, I don't like it as much. It gives you a general shape. Um, it depends on what you're looking at and how much it makes sense to you and how complex the picture is, in my opinion. But one of the cool things is, is if you double, you can actually double tap when you're zoomed out uh, on the left-hand side. So, like, say I'm in the United States looking at that picture zoomed out. If I double tap on the left-hand side, it zooms in, and I would be on the West Coast. So I'd be looking at, like, California. Or if I, was, if, I, if I tapped on the top of it, I might be in Washington or Montana or something. You know, it just depends on where you're touching. And it's, it's so cool to sort of have that idea of, uh, you know, not only is this device showing me the ability to, you know, to see a whole map and pan around and, and see how things are connected. But I can also sort of look at a, you know, a sort of a, a, a view of a, of a picture in a sense, and then zoom in to that further. Um, we are, uh, so the, the, the thing I'm talking about right now is the, the tactographics image library. We also do support uh, PNGs and JPGs. Uh, the difference will be, we haven't really used that capability a whole lot as of yet. Um, so the images that I've mainly seen are from this image library. But as we get further, you know, you might be able to go grab a Google image and look at it. Now, full disclosure, we have what's called one level of visibility. So the pins are either up or they're down. That's the only, that's the only kind of, uh, as far as like looking at this, uh, sort of our, our scope of things. Um, so there's no like multi-level pins to sort of differentiate heights and stuff. So like if you're looking at the United States, things like Michigan, I can't really feel like the thumb, for example, like that doesn't really stand out on the image I'm seeing so far. Um, it may, it may on other photos. So, so we'll see, but I think that this is a good, uh, starting ground for folks, um, to sort of get the idea of braille and patch graphics. I mean, a lot of us out there, I don't know how many folks have been blind since birth uh, and gone through like a, a school system, but I, I, I had retinal blessing when I was a, a year old, so I'm totally blind, and I went through the public school system, and I probably saw five tactile graphics growing up, and that's not an exaggeration. Uh, my TBIs just didn't really do it. Um, it it's something that they just didn't have the time with their caseload. So I, I think something like this, when you talk about the, the ability of, of something that can sit, you know, on a table and you can, you can interact with it. I think it's going to impact the world in a, in a meaningful way uh, moving forward, this, this kind of technology, because it, it, it puts power in the hands of kids to sort of have and see concepts they, they wouldn't otherwise see. Um, so the idea that we're really trying to focus on launch on that textbook experience. So you, you get a, a textbook. Uh, we're actually creating another format. So you, you may have heard of BRF, uh, which is Braille Ready Format. So we're, we're also looking at creating something called the electronic uh, BRF. 
which basically mean, or EBRF is what we're calling it, which basically means that it gives you a little bit more smart to your Braille files. So currently, uh, on any device that you have a BRF, uh, for example, getting to Chapter 9 can be fairly difficult. Um, you know, you have to do a lot of searching for something uh, or, or sort of a lot of navigation to get to that point. Uh, even just to the start of a book, like if you download a book off a of bookshare, you have to go through all that legality stuff in the beginning, right? And so um, with an EBRF, what the, the cool aspect of that is, is it's going to be dynamic. So, for example, if you're in the contents, you'll be able to click on Chapter 3 and it will take you there. Or you'll be able to search for a page number, sort of like you can do in a PDF now. You can go to a, a certain page number. Uh, so if you're working with some folks in class and they're using the print version uh, and they say, hey, on page 85, you know, the story gets great, <laughs> and you want to jump to that point, you'll be able to go right to that page number. Uh, so it's going to make the Braille file uh, much more dynamic. In fact, I would say a lot of us are probably – not using BRFs anymore that we're probably using more daily files. I mean, I can't speak for everybody, but that's, that's what I do because in daily files, I get some of that formatting already. Uh, but you know, I think that this is a great thing for the Braille file. Uh, and, and, you know, moving forward, it kind of makes using that, that Braille first, uh, approach, uh, much more user, user friendly. So, um, and, and what that does for us here at APH2, as this format gets more and wider adopted, is it allows this device and devices like it, you know, because we're not only thinking about us, but we are thinking about, you know, other competitors that come out that, that are developing things like this. We just want to get this technology out in the world where, you know, it, that those Braille formats are going to, to benefit the whole community. Uh, and I think that's, that's a, a really cool thing. So on launch, we are going to have a, just getting back to the, the basics. On launch, the device is going to have a Braille editor, so you can go in and write multi-line Braille. Uh, it's really awesome uh, to be able to actually read 10 lines of Braille. Uh, you know, I'm actually a little bit out of practice, so I get to my fifth line, and I'm like, oh, where's the thumb key to advance this? <laughs> I need a break, you know. So uh, that, that's actually taken a little bit of used to, uh, time to get used to for me. Um, it will have a uh, – so we're actually running – we're working with uh, Humanware uh, on this with the technology and DOT as well for the cell technology. Uh, so Humanware, we, we actually get the Keysoft suite, so we're getting uh, Keyword, uh, the Victor Reader software, um, and their, some of their math stuff. The, for the calculator, that we are partnering with Desmos. So doing things like plotting, uh, you know, I learned how to plot with uh, Wikisticks. So, you know, it was a, I don't know, it, you know, it was what it was, right? But the ability that, you know, we're going to have this device where you can actually uh, plot, uh, learn how to, like, actually do uh, graphing on is, is actually pretty, pretty cool. Um, so some of the limitations, I've talked about the good things. I, I think it's only fair to, to sort of talk about real expectations. Uh, currently, some of the uh, downside of the technology is you can't touch it while it refreshes. Um, it uh, just will kind of freeze the pen. Uh, so the pen will stay down. So uh, we are kind of looking into that to sort of, you know, on the device, we might be able to, to detect like where your fingers are and, you know, maybe do like a retry or a rescan once they move. Um, we're, we're still, we're still very early beta. So that's going to be stuff that kind of occupies our time for the next year or so before this device comes out. Um, the other thing uh, 
that I think is actually kind of a cool thing, uh, but it is different, is when the pins are up, uh, they, they're up, and they're not going to, like, actually draw uh, battery power. So we all have probably Braille displays now that work on the old piezo technology where uh, a lot of times, like, just to keep that Braille up, it's actually using battery power to sort of uh, keep that, that Braille, uh, you know, where it is. This device, when the cells are actually up and the, when you feel the Braille, it's not using any, any battery power. The only time the battery is actually getting used is when you change the lines. So that's, that's actually pretty cool. And we're going to ask anybody one last time if you've got any questions, go ahead and ask real quick. Um, you guys have been really great. We appreciate your time. Okay. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you so much. Glad to talk to you. Bye-bye. Take care. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.